right, Imago. I haven't said a whole lot yet, so it's okay. to say very much. Good job, guys. The mom look. I didn't even use my mom voice. All right. Well, I'm going to read scripture for you today. Imago, it's one of my pleasures when I get to speak to you. I love to read scripture for you. Um, so if I do see some new faces. So if you don't know me, my name is Victoria Brown. My pronouns are she, her. I'm one of the founding members here at Imago Day, and I'm just so happy to see that this community still exists and is doing a good job of being in the world. So today's scripture is from Luke. One day he was praying in a certain place. When he finished, one of his disciples said, Master, teach us to pray just as John taught his disciples. So he said, when you pray, say, Father, reveal who you are. Set the world right. Keep us alive with three square meals. Keep us forgiven with you and forgiving others. Keep us safe from ourselves and the devil. Then he said, imagine what would happen if you went to a friend in the middle of the night and said, friend, lend me three loaves of bread. An old, fan tra an old friend traveling through just showed up and I don't have anything on hand. The friend answers from his bed. I can just imagine like this is a text conversation today, right? <laughs> the friend answers from his bed, don't bother me, the door's locked, my children are all down for the night. Like, stop knocking, you're gonna wake up my kids. Um, I can't get up to give you anything. But let me tell you, even if he won't get up because he's a friend, if you stand your ground knocking and waking all the neighbors, he'll finally get up and give you whatever you need. Here's what I'm saying. Ask, and you'll get. Seek, and you'll find. Knock, and the door will open. Don't bargain with God. Be direct. Ask for what you need. This is not a cat and mouse, hide and seek game we're in. If your little boy asks for a serving of fish, do you scare him with a live snake on his plate? If your little girl asks for an egg, do you trick her with a spider? As bad as you are, you wouldn't think of such a thing. You're at least decent to your own children. And don't you think the father who conceived you in love will give the Holy Spirit when you ask him? This is the word of the Lord. All right, so this sermon discussion is can be a little dicey, and so I will cut it off if it goes too long, just because I have, a, I have things that I want to say. Not because I don't want to hear from you, but I'm gonna ask you, in regard to that scripture, two questions to kind of guide our sermon discussion, our scripture discussion. What is the point of prayer, and does God change his mind? I like shut you guys down. We obviously want to hear what you have to say. Oh. Yes. Um, so, what is the point of prayer? Um, for me, it's more so not so much changing God. 
No, I think it does. Aligning my spirit with God more so. Just reminding myself that, you know, whatever God's will is. I mean, even that's kind of dicey saying it that way, but yeah. Okay, so Libby said for her, it's about aligning her spirit with God's outcome. Aligning her will with God's will. And reminding herself that that's what prayer is. So I really like the two things that you said. You said, for me, and you used the word remind. And I think that those are really important when we talk about prayer. Anybody else? So Omer says that prayer is important to him because it puts him on a more personal level with God and communication. Dan. I'll uh, answer the second question first. But God might change his mind. I don't know for sure. So I can pray. Hopefully, if he change his mind, he would. Yeah. So Dan says, God might change his mind, and so that's part of the reason he prays, and if he's not going to, there's this idea of accepting. That's beautiful. So he says that the reason he prays is to be more aware of himself and God and what God can do in his life. I mean, I'm not going to talk about that, but Corey says, it seems like the point of this passage is pester God until he gives you what you want. <laughs> That's more or less what I was taught growing up. <clears throat> well, there's also the story of the widow and the judge, the yeah. unrighteous judge. So, I mean, maybe God just really likes it when we pester him. Maybe he is excited about that. I don't know. So JJ says, if we don't approach prayer with the idea that God could change his mind, it turns God into a dictator and an omnipresence and omni omniscience. Like those are concepts that are sermons like worth of material that we could talk about theology behind those. And it turns it into a hopeless situation kind of, right? You think that there's failure involved, Jennifer? Well, I'm human, so yeah, I'm sure. Okay. No, it's just not, I haven't heard that particular phrasing before, so that's interesting to me. So Jennifer says that it's an act of trying to connect with God even if we fail. Yeah, that's what Jesus prayed in the garden, right? 
So he says that um, it's a way to surrender his will to God. All right, so we're going we're gonna to move on here. Um, I, I will say um, there are scriptures where God changes his mind, and there are scriptures where God doesn't. Um, New Testament tells us that God is unchanging, but we know that Lot bargained with God. So clearly he thought God could be bargained with. And then Moses begged God not to kill everybody and start over, and God said, okay. It literally, the scripture literally says God changed his mind. Um, prayer does matter, I think. Um, Corey and I were talking about this. I didn't look it up, but one of the Elijah or Elisha, I can't remember which one, um, he, as long as he had his arms raised praying to God, the battle was going in favor of the Jews. And when his arms lowered, it's when his prayer ceased and the battle went poorly. So he literally had his servant hold his arms up for him when they got tired. And that somehow affected the outcome of the battle and God's intervention. And then uh, Elijah prayed for rain and um, he kept sending his servant to go check, go see if you see a cloud. And just this happened over and over. He kept praying for rain, go see if you see a cloud. And then finally, the servant saw a cloud. So clearly, Elijah was changing God's mind or timing. I'm not sure which. I do want to reference, too, just because this is in pop culture right now. How many of you heard the song, I Only Talk to God When I Need a Favor? It's a country song that's out right now. Okay. There's a lot of bad theology in this song. Um, And I want to address it real quick. Just because it's, just because this is, like, so apropos to what I'm talking about today, I'm not going to focus a lot on it, but this, the, stanza, the first stanza of the song is the chorus, and it says, I only talk to God when I need a favor, and I only pray when I ain't got a prayer. So who the hell am I to expect a savior if I only talk to God when I need a favor? But God, I need a favor. And he goes on to say in the song, I know amazing grace, but haven't been living them words. Swear I spend most Sundays drunk off my ass than I have in church. Hardcover King James only been saving dust on the nightstand and I don't know what to say by the time I fold my hands. And then part of the bridge. Yeah, I owe you more than one, and beggars can't be choosers, but I'll pay for all I've done, just don't let me lose her. Hanging in there, just barely throwing up prayers like Hail Marys. If you're still there, Lord, spare me. Oh my God, oh my God, Hail Mary. Hail Mary is a Catholic prayer, and somehow we've turned it into like a last resort. And, but then he references um, the King James Bible um, on his nightstand. I don't know if he's Protestant or Catholic in this song. Um, regardless, yes, but regardless, when you hear this song, please don't think that there's like a merit system in heaven. And you can pray to God whenever you want, even if it's just because you need a favor. My friend Paul is in the military, and he says there are no atheists in foxholes. All right. The other thing that I find interesting about that is somehow, you know, I don't know how prayer turned into a last resort for anything. Uh, There's a lot of mystics that I read, and prayer is their first response. And I hope that someday I can be like them. Richard Foster wrote a book called prayer, very simply titled Prayer, and I'm going to share with you a story from this book. He says, Leo Tolstoy tells the story of three hermits who lived on an island. Their prayer of intimacy and love was simple, like they were simple. We are three, you are three. Have mercy on us. Amen. Miracles sometimes happened when they prayed this way. The bishop, however, 
hearing about the hermits, decided that they needed guidance in proper prayer, and so he went to their small island. After instructing the monks, the bishop set sail for the mainland, pleased to have lightened the souls of such simple men. Suddenly, off the stern of the ship, he saw a huge ball of light skimming across the ocean. It got closer and closer until he could see that it was the three hermits running on top of the water. Once on board the ship, they said to the bishop, we are so sorry, but we have forgotten some of your teaching. Would you please instruct us again? The, bis the bishop shook his head and replied meekly, forget everything I have taught you and continue to pray in your old way. I hope that you feel some freedom in that story. There's no proper way to pray. Which is why I think this sermon failed to come together very clearly. And so if I get off track, I really apologize, but it did not want to be put to paper very well because it is big. Prayer is big and it's been misused. And I am so sorry that if you have been taught things that harmed you when it comes to prayer, spiritual practices. All right, so because it refused to be committed to a lot of uh, polishedness, I'm just going to read. So I'm going to do a lot today of what prayer is and what prayer isn't. We will have a chance to practice some prayer at the end of the service, but ultimately there isn't a perfect how-to guide for prayer. My hope is that by talking through prayer, you will be free to find your own ways to pray, your own ways to connect to God through the different parameters that I'm going to talk about. That being said, a little bit of a disclaimer about everything I am going to say today, I am not an expert on prayer. Sometimes my prayer life hangs on by a thread, and sometimes I feel like I am climbing mountains, and that's probably true for most of us. As I started to prepare to share with you today, I realized that there's too much. There's too much to share, too much to even make slides. Usually I like to have slides when I talk, but there would have been so many and it would have been overwhelming. Um, just there's, there's too much. Our God is too much. In the best way possible, Imago, our God is too much. So please take what I say today with a grain of salt and maybe a shot of tequila. <laughs> because you may not agree with me. You might need some salt or you may want to say cheers. You may think I've lost my mind or my faith, but I promise what I say is my experience and it is a small window into my relationship with God, even if I don't always know what the idea of God even means sometimes. But it's true and it's prayerfully prepared. So let's get into it by addressing some fallacies about prayer and about God. And when I say fallacies, I mean that in my experiences, these things have been commonly taught in the church. They're just not simply true of who I have experienced God to be. I want to address these things. They stand in the way, I think, for a lot of people's ability to pray. Some people think prayer is not worth it because God won't hear them. Now, please understand, I'm going to use the word hear and answer interchangeably, and that might not be true for you. Um, but a lot of people, um, I, I can think of when I argue with my kids, they'll be like, well, you didn't hear me. I'm like, no, I just didn't agree with you. Mm -hmm. And so just understand that I am, I'm using those words interchangeably. God will hear you. He may not agree with you. He may not answer your prayer in the way that you anticipate, so just have that in mind that I'm using those interchangeably. Some people say God is mad at them. There's no point because I'm such a sinner. I don't pray because I don't know how to, so God probably doesn't hear me. When I prayed before, nothing happened. 
I've heard other people pray, and it was so good. There's no way I could ever pray that well. Seriously, Lago, when did prayer become a competition? It was so repetitive and had no meaning, really. I can't really tell God what's on my mind. It's too embarrassing and not very spiritual. I will say one side note, I'm not going to address speaking in tongues. I have never had someone in these things say that speaking in tongues has been um, a barrier to them, but just know that that's out there and I'm not going to address that today. If you do wanna talk about speaking in tongues, Mandy Campen is the person to talk to at Imago for that. All right, so while all those stances, Imago might feel true, that God's mad at you, he doesn't hear you, you're too much of a sinner, they're false. All of those things that I said are from the accuser, Satan. They're your ego talking, which is what I think the New Testament writers mean when they use the word flesh. And the hardest one is that they are past power structures that you were part of. That power structure was trying to keep you in line with what they taught you about prayer. So I want to address these a little bit before I move on. And, and I, my life is lived in quotes, and so I'm just going to say a lot of quotes today. Um, mostly Richard War. let's be honest. Okay. God is mad at me. Richard Rohr shares this about this idea. He's talking about Isaiah 35, 4 through 7, which is one of the great promises to the Jewish people in the Old Testament. He says, here's the great surprise of the Hebrew scriptures revealed in this central passage from Isaiah. People are not going to get what they deserve. Restorative justice, yes. Punishment, no. They're going to get much better than they deserve. God says, the way I punish you, this vindication, this retribution, is actually going to be by loving you more and loving you more deeply. Show me anyone whose heart was changed by punishing them. Their behavior might change, but it's not a guarantee that their heart will change. There's no point because I'm such a sinner Dun Scotus is one of the first biographers of St. Francis of Assisi, and one of the things that he learned in his work with the Franciscan um, uh, people that he was working with, he says, God's freedom had to be maintained at all costs. If God needed or demanded a blood sacrifice to love his own creation, then God was not freely loving us. The great mystery of incarnation was not motivated by a problem. It was motivated by love. Imago, you are not a problem. My thoughts are embarrassing and not very spiritual. Um, I have a book um, on the Desert Fathers and Mothers, and they have such rich teaching for us. And one of them, his name is Abbott Pastor. And he said, if you have a chest full of clothing and leave it for a long time, the clothing will rot inside of it. It is the same with the thoughts in our own heart. If we do not carry them out by physical action, after a long while, they will spoil and turn bad. God doesn't want you to keep those things inside of you. They'll spoil and turn bad. God doesn't hear me because I don't know how to pray. An elder was asked by a certain soldier if God would forgive a sinner. And he said to him, tell me, beloved, if your cloak is torn, will you throw it away? The soldier said, and like, no, I will mend it and put it back on. 
The elder said to him, if you take care of your cloak, will God not be merciful to his own image? Everyone in this room bears the image of Imago Dei. Will God not be merciful to you? It was so repetitive and had no meaning, really. Roar again. This one's a little long. Over time is these practices. So he's talking about Catholic practices, rituals of the faith. Over time is these practices turned into repetitive obligations. They degenerated. And most people came to understand them magically as divinely required. Divinely required transactions. Instead of inviting people into new consciousness, these practices often froze people in their first infantile understanding of those rituals. And transactions ended up being substituted for transformation. Mindless repetition of any practice with no clear goal of purification, of cleaning up your intention, it can in fact keep us quite unconscious. Unless the practices keep breaking us into new insights, desires, compassion, an ever larger notion of God and ourselves, catatonic repetition of anything is a, rep is a recipe for unconsciousness, the opposite of real consciousness, intentionality, or spiritual maturity. So when you hear people repeating prayers, do not automatically think that they're super spiritual. It could just be a substitute for them not being transformed. He says, if spirituality does not support very real growth in both inner and outer freedom, it is not authentic spirituality. It is such basic unfreedom that makes so many people dislike and mistrust religious people. It is not your fault, Imago, if you were taught a mindless practice. Do I think God honors that? Absolutely, because he knows where you are and where you have been. But if you've ever felt shame or guilt over your prayers, that is not your fault. I've heard other people pray, and it was so good, there's no way I could ever pray that well. There's um, an order in the 16 or 1700s, I can't remember. They were called the Beguines. They were lay people in the Catholic Church, and they essentially formed these communities to take care of the poor. And this scholar says, Beguines exhorted their followers to recognize that there existed no impediment to a deep and meaningful prayer life, no matter what a person's station in life, be they uneducated or educated, poor or wealthy, it did not impede or deny them awareness of God in their lives. God yearned to draw close to all. And finally, just to get it all out, there are some things that will derail us from prayer that are real. It's not just from bad teaching, okay? Um, we've, I've addressed this a little bit already. Painful or shameful past memories. Like, it's hard. Like, even talking to your friend about some of that stuff is hard, right? It can derail you in prayer if you're talking to somebody you can't even see. That's okay. Rushing ahead into an anxious or distant future, this worry. Worry can really derail us in prayer. But that's okay. It doesn't mean you shouldn't pray. If you're worried about something, it's probably a good time to pray. And then finally, being present, but not actually present with God. So you're distracted, right? One of my favorite things to have when I pray is a notepad next to me because I like to list down, like write down stuff as they come up because I know if I write it down, like I can address it later. Okay, so that is a little tip that might help some of you. I don't know. 
All right, so that's a lot about what prayer isn't. So let's, mo like, let's go forward, and we'll do a few prayer practices at the end. So the definition, there's several definitions of prayer that I like. Um, the one we use in formation community is all the ways we commune and connect with God. So I spoke about awareness a few weeks ago. Brian has talked about scripture. We've talked about music. All of those things can still be prayer. So prayer is talking to God, it's sitting with God, being present with God, noticing God. I hope you're sensing a theme here. So what you pray shows me what you believe about God. If I were to hear you pray, I would be able to understand more about you and what you believe to be true about God and what you wish were true about God. All of that's contained in your prayer, even if it's just a little pop-up prayer. So um, Brian talked about scripture last week, and I want to, the Jewish uh, mystics, they talk about scripture and prayer almost interchangeably. And so let me read you some things that they say about prayer when they're reading Jewish scripture. One who reads the words of prayer with great devotion may come to see the lights within the letters, even though one does not understand the meanings of the words one speaks. Such prayer has great power. Mistakes of reading are of no importance. A father has a young child whom he greatly loves. Even though the child has hardly learned to speak, his father takes pleasure in listening to the child's words. This is applied to reading scripture, but think about like when you're early in your prayer life, you may not know what you're saying, but God is basically saying, no, bring it on, I love it. Like we all like to watch kids learn how to walk, right? We don't get mad when they fall down. Like, we're excited. Oh, my gosh, you tried. Another Jewish saying goes like this. Sometimes while at prayer, you may feel that you cannot enter the upper world at all. Your mind remains below, and you think the whole earth is full of his glory. But really, you are nearer to God than you know. At such times, you are like a child who has just begun to understand how close to God he is. Even though your mind cannot transcend the world, God is with you in your prayer. I mean, Jesus basically says, come to him like a small child, right? So a lot of what we think, I think we need today is to demystify prayer. Um, it's not a spell. <laughs> Seems like one a lot of times. Um, you know, oh, if I pray X, then God must do Y. Okay, that's a spell. Prayer is not a spell. It's not magic. We're not trying to manipulate God. But just because we want to try to do right by prayer, by demystifying it, it does not mean that it's worthless. So let's give it some new life. Brian Zahn, he's a pastor in, Saint, um, in Missouri. He says that the primary purpose of prayer is to be properly formed, formed into the likeness of Jesus. And that always used to scare me when I was small. Like, I don't want to be Jesus, I want to be me. Okay? Um, but you don't cease to exist. You just become more of who you already are. And just, can I say, just because I don't know that you guys can ever hear this enough, that God loves who you are. He really does. Not in spite of you, because you're you. Repeating prayers does form you. It could be mindless, or it could be formative. Um, they could be a recalling of how God has been there for you, like new life. How many of you have ever sat around like a table at Thanksgiving or Christmas or a kid's birthday 
and like you just tell old family stories because they're funny. Everybody probably has at least one person in their family like, oh my gosh, you should tell this story. You're a great storyteller. Like, what if you did that with God and you just remembered what he'd done for you? I would also like to think that repeating prayers can be a soft place to land. A place where you remember that God has remembered you. An interior space where you and God dwell together and you are at peace. A peace that does not depend on the outside world. That space inside is necessary if we're going to move forward in hope and compassion in the world. Richard Rohr says, people of real faith seem to be able to hold increasing amounts of chaos in one tranquil and ordered life. Faith seems to make people more spacious, non-controlling, and waiting in awareness. Now, I don't know about you, but I don't know that many people like that. But the ones that you do know, you're drawn to them, right? Not because they're religious, but because they're open. The faith Jesus praises as salvation and sufficient in lepers, Samaritans, and those outside the temple system. So all of basically the degens of his day, Jesus basically said their faith is, is miraculous. It's perfect. It's very different than religion. It is such a capacity, sorry, it is a capacity within people to contain and receive all things, to hold on to nothing with almost no need to fear or judge rashly. Faith-filled people find it unnecessary to secure themselves because they are secure at a deeper level. There's room for them and God in that spacious place. I will say that the chaos of the world kind of threatens to undo the work that we've done to remember God in all things, that awareness that I talked about a few weeks ago, to notice God in all things. Forming that space inside of us is the work of prayer, but it's also the work of awareness. It's the work of scripture. It's the work of the community. Spiritual practices are so very important. And I hope we've not only made the case for that this month, but that you've seen for yourself how practices with God are beneficial for us and for the world. We go out from that space to change the world, and we come back to that space to be regenerated and healed and shored up so we can go back out again. All right, it's a little soapboxy, but I have a microphone and you don't. Okay. All right, so here's some things to keep in mind about how to pray. And once again, these are ways that I've discovered and studied. It doesn't mean they're going to work for you, but just keep them in mind, okay? Uh, how many of you have heard that scripture that says, pray always, pray without ceasing? Good Lord, that's also terrifying, right? Like, I'm never going to do that. Um, I was like, I'm never going to be that quote-unquote spiritual because somehow spirituality became a contest, which is also horrifying. Um, but Richard Foster, in that book that I was reading from earlier, he says the literal translation for that passage of pray always is come to rest. God is constantly calling you to rest. Let's remember that God's not a vending machine when we pray. It's not a spell. Forsyth, he says, love loves to be told what it knows already. It wants to be asked for what it longs to give. When you're with someone you care about, like, they don't just say, I love you once. And be like, well, I already told you that, you know. 
Like, we don't do that, right? So don't do that with God either. Say what you want. He wants to give it to you. He just wants you to talk to him about it. Um, everything that turns you in the direction of God is prayer. That's from Ignatius of Loyola. So these are not new ideas. Ignatius of Loyola is, I should probably know when he's from, but I don't remember. He's old. Um, musicians, don't start with riffing. You don't just pick up a guitar and know how to play, right? Like liturgy is a great place to start with prayer. Like kind of teaches you the chords. Okay? You don't have to start there, but you don't expect to pick up prayer and be like, and now I know exactly how to talk to God. If you want more in your prayer life, you have to actually do something about it. You don't just get to have the guitar over in the corner and say, I know how to play. All of our prayers really can't come from us, and some people might disagree with that. I do think that liturgy is important. Um, if you're angry, your prayer will be angry. If you're feeling full of love, your prayer will probably be full of love. And, not, and neither one of those prayers are bad. Please don't think that I'm saying one's better than the other. If you're frustrated, your prayer will be frustrated. But having something to go off of can kind of help when you're feeling a certain way, but you know that you don't want to necessarily feel that way, or you want a different way to experience what's happening, um, a different perspective. I will say that just talking to God can be a good place to start, but it can get a little anemic, okay? So like, it's just not as satisfying. Um, there can be more to it as we move along in our journey. In the scripture that I read, the disciples asked Jesus how to pray. These were people who had been versed in the Jewish tradition. They already knew how to play, pray as a Jewish person, but they somehow knew there was more. So they asked Jesus how to pray, and so he taught us and them how to pray. Um, liturgical prayer. I have used that word more than once. Are you guys all from... Raise your hand if you do know what I'm talking about when I say liturgical prayer. Maybe. Some of you. It basically means it's a set order. It's set words. You don't have to think about what to pray. You are reading them. Okay? And it kind of frees us up not to think. Um, I like to say that whenever you're focused on something um, that you didn't have to create and you're just performing it or using it, it kind of frees up the back of your mind to be doing other stuff. I mean, your brain can really do a lot at once, okay? So just know that liturgical prayer can free us to not think so hard about our prayers. Reading the prayers of others, you see what they said. It, it, it might be life-giving to you. It might be, like, might be full of connection for you. I will say I don't generally read a liturgical prayer. So like if I were visiting a church and they had a liturgy, I would not read it out loud until I had read it to myself. And I usually skip the parts I don't agree with, just because I don't want to say something I don't mean. And that's okay, totally okay. There are parts, um, the Apostles' Creed, like there are some missing things in there, right? And, and sometimes I don't even know what hell is, or if it exists, or what that means. So sometimes I don't say that part. Any part of liturgy, I am giving you permission to not say it out loud if you don't want to. Brian Zond says, when you can't pray, at least say your prayers. And what he means is, if you have a liturgy or a prayer that you like, that has been life-giving to you, that is full of connection for you, and a lot of people speak the Lord's Prayer because they don't have to think about it, they, they just have it memorized. Just saying that can be connective between you and God. It can be that soft place to land. So when you're troubled, you can repeat those familiar words. He um, shares a story about that where he says, I was going into the hospital because my son's child, 
I don't really remember the details, but he, there was like a family emergency and it was involving a child who wasn't doing well in the hospital. And he knew in that moment that his job as the grandpa was to support his son. And he didn't know how to get to that space because he was just as terrified. And so he prayed his prayers. He recited the liturgy that he knew by heart. He calls them like uh, wagon ruts in the road. He got into those ruts, that familiarity, and it transported him into that place of inner peace so that he could be present with his son and focus on his son. He'd given his terror over to God in that moment. Repeating the familiar words and being transported into the presence of God only happens if you've practiced. That only worked for Brian Zond in that moment because he had practiced it. May not work for you, especially if you haven't practiced it. And then finally, prayer can also be just listening to Jesus. He's listening to you, listening to him. And I think that silence is a mark of great intimacy. And you know what I mean. When you're with someone you're close to, you don't just talk the whole time, right? Sometimes you're just sitting there, you're restful with each other. All right, so I have a whole bunch of books up here. And the reason I have these up here is because I want you guys to understand how varied prayer resources are. So this one, this one isn't prayer as such. This is um, For Lovers of God Everywhere. This is actually a book of poems written by the mystics. And I've already told you that I really like the mystics. And they included Mary Oliver, who's actually not old and dusty, in their poems. And she says this. The title of the poem is Praying. It doesn't have to be the blue iris. It could be weeds in a vacant lot or a few small, small stones. Just pay attention, then patch a few words together and don't try to make them elaborate. This isn't a contest, but the doorway into thanks and a silence in which another voice may speak. So she called the poem pray, praying, but it wasn't necessarily a prayer, but this could transport you into prayer, right? So I'm going to riff a little bit here. This is the part of the sermon that refused, really refused to be written down. Um, there is more than one Celtic prayer book up here. Um, if you're into like fairies and um, thin spaces where like the Holy Spirit dwells, uh, Celtic prayer can be really beautiful for that. Um, this one we actually read at Imago quite a bit. This one is called Gorillas of Grace by Ted Loader, he writes beautiful prayers. And it's not because he's better at praying than you. It's because he refined these over time. He thought about what would I want to say to God and how could I help others say that to God too? And he put the work into making beautiful, beautiful prayers. Um, when I talk about um, liturgy, this came out when Imago was at the Arcadia building. This is um, Common Prayer, a Liturgy for Ordinary Radicals. It is in response to this one. This is the Book of Common Prayer from the Church of England. It's dusty. Okay? It was written in the 17 and 1800s. It's not bad, but it's got a lot of thys and shoulds and halves in it. Okay? Um, but the idea of these books is that they contain liturgies, literally a liturgy for every day of the year. So if you don't know what to pray, 
you can just go to October 28th and has everything there for you to have a prayer to God. Not because this prayer is superior, but because somebody thought about it and put specific effort into what components might make a meaningful prayer time for you. It has scripture, it has songs, um, it even has a place in there for you to pray for other people. And then you get into Phyllis Tickle. She passed away not too long ago. This one is funny because it actually says a manual for prayer. <laughs> I don't actually think that manual is a great word. However, her prayer book, each liturgical prayer for the day is like four pages long. And it's, so this book is just for the summer. <laughs> I guess this is just the summer. So she, when she prays, she wants to say all the things to God, and she leads us into saying all the things to God, too. Okay? This one, 40 days of practice. Brian, did we do this? Okay. I couldn't remember where I got this one. So it says 40 days of practice, not 40 days of perfection. Okay? And so in this one, there's art. There's little short prayers next to them all different kinds of ways to approach prayer. Um, and then this one, this is just one I printed online. If you look online, like template for prayer, you get stuff like this. It can be very cute and very pretty, right? And this one leads you through, like, you put the date on it. Then it says brain dump, so things you just need to get off your chest before you talk to God, which is like talking to God. Uh, they say thank you, things I'm worried about, uh, please watch over, um, smaller prayers, and then other things I just want to say. And you could write these down. If you know who Beth Moore is, she does a practice similar to this every day. She puts them in these, like, these spiral-bound notebooks. She goes back through them and like, writes down when the prayer was answered. Like That's meaningful to her. I don't think I'd ever have the patience to go back through them and do that. Um, and then I want to explain one other thing, because I actually think this could be helpful to people who just want to learn a liturgy or learn where to start. At, when you leave today, there's a sheet on the infill booth. I don't want to pass it out in service, because I didn't want you to feel like you had to do this. I really encourage you to, though. I put together a sheet of just prayer resources, okay? And in this top corner, there's a website. This is the website for Brian Zahn's church. And if you click on their morning prayer, you will get a document that you can print that is literally like this. I printed mine on cardstock because I did this for a certain amount of time in my life. And it basically says, here's the address. This is in the morning. Here's your first prayers. Here's the Jesus prayer. Here's where you confess your sin. Next, Psalm for the day and the gospel reading, that all he gets out of this. This book contains the lectionary. The lectionary is basically how the church reads the Bible through the year. It um, stands out to you as you hear it the second time. As he approached Jericho, a blind man was sitting by the roadside begging. When he heard a crowd going by, he asked what was happening, and they told him, Jesus of Nazareth is passing by. Then he shouted, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Those who were in front sternly ordered him to be quiet, 
But he shouted even more loudly, Son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus stood still. He ordered the man to be brought to him. And when he came near, he asked him, What do you want me to do for you? He said, Lord, let me see again. Jesus said to him, Receive your sight. Your faith has saved you. Immediately he regained his sight and followed him, glorifying God. And all the people, when they saw it, praised God. As we listen to it a third time, just allow yourself to respond in whatever way comes naturally to you. Give yourself space. As he approached Jericho, a blind man was sitting by the roadside begging. When he heard a crowd going by, he asked what was happening, and they told him, Jesus of Nazareth is passing by. And then he shouted, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Those who were in front sternly ordered him to be quiet. But he shouted even more loudly, Son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus stood still. He ordered the man to be brought to him. And when he came near, he asked him, What do you want me to do for you? He said, Lord, let me see again. And Jesus said to him, Receive your sight. Your faith has saved you. Immediately he regained his sight and followed him, glorifying God. And all the people, when they saw it, praised God. final time that we read through, just allow yourself to rest. Be open to whatever has moved inside of you. As he approached Jericho, a blind man was sitting by the roadside begging. When he heard a crowd going by, he asked what was happening. They told him, Jesus of Nazareth is passing by. And then he shouted, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Those who were in front sternly ordered him to be quiet, but he shouted even more loudly, son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus stood still. He ordered the man to be brought to him. When he came near, he asked him, What do you want me to do for you? He said, Lord, let me see again. And Jesus said to him, Receive your sight. Your faith has saved you. Immediately he regained his sight and followed him, glorifying God and all the people when they saw it. Praise God. Now the last step is one we sometimes forget. It's the resolve step at the bottom. And that's the idea that after you have spent some time going through this passage, that you continue to think about it, that you carry it with you into the rest of your day, into the rest of your week, that you don't contain it to just a small little pocket of your day. Um, I love that idea, too. I think that's really important. Something that we do with the Bible should not be separate from the rest of our life, right? That's the whole point of all these spiritual practices. Like the um, scripture that we started with today is to equip us to do good to everyone that we encounter. That's the whole idea. And the time that we spend with scripture helps us to do that. It helps us to be more empathetic, to be more compassionate, to be more courageous when we need to, just to reach out to the people that need us the most. That's our goal for all of these practices that we're talking about this month, is that they'll be something that helps make us more like Christ in lots of different ways. So with all these papers, again, we had to do kind of a shortened version of it um, today. I hope that you'll give yourself some space to try a longer version, either with these passages or pick your own. Just give yourself some time to sit with them when you're not waiting to see when is Brian going to start talking again or 
when am I going to get to lunch because I'm starving? Just give yourself some space to experience that and see what the spirit brings up in you. So the worship team is going to come up and we're going to close with our last song. Um, That's going to also be our benediction today. We're going to sing our benediction together. So when the song is done, you're all dismissed to do that. But as we go out together, let's keep in mind this crazy book that we love and sometimes hate and we think is beautiful and sometimes don't know what to do with. It's still an amazing tool for us. It can be a huge gift. Our um, discussion class that Jake was talking about earlier, um, we're talking about the power of ritual, that book, and the whole idea is that there are spiritual practices that we can weave into all parts of our life, and they don't have to be churchy things. And one of the things that we're talking about today is how you can do Lectio Divino with um, Harry Potter or your favorite novel. Maybe not a romance novel, but maybe a romance novel. I don't know. There's truth to be found in lots of places. But the whole idea is that these acts, these um, times of making yourself open to the spirit, the spirit can use so many different texts movies, beautiful experiences in our life. So we want to be open to all of that, that the Spirit is doing. So um, if you come join us in class today, that's what we're going to be talking about today, what that might look like in just ordinary life. So um, thank you. Again, the way that you do these things is so beautiful. <laughs> just, yeah, you're beautiful. I'm done. That's it. So thank you. And let's go and continue with our song. Can't find that restful place inside. Romans 8.26 has this for us. Paul says, In the same way, the Spirit also helps our weakness, for we do not know how to pray as we should, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. So you are let off the hook, Amago. Even when you don't know what to do, the Spirit steps in. You're covered. You're taken care of. So a couple more quotes, and then we're going to practice together. In Richard Foster's book, he quotes someone named Dalrymple. I don't know who it is. But he says, the truth is that we only learn to pray all of the time everywhere after we have resolutely set about praying some of the time somewhere. So if you want this to be a regular prayer practice, don't just say, and now it's a regular prayer practice. Show yourself that it's a regular prayer practice by actually doing it, if that's what you want. Dr. Margaret Bullet jones says, Our prayer may be noisy and expressive, or it may be very quiet. It may be the kind of prayer that depends on listening in stillness and silence with complete attention. Listening to the crickets as they pulse at night, listening to the rain as it falls, listening to our breath as we breathe God in and breathe God out, listening to the inner voice of love that is always sounding in our heart. A discipline of prayer or meditation can set us free from the frantic churn of thoughts and feelings and enable our spirit to rest and roam in a vaster, wilder space. Two more quotes. Margaret Swedish says, what kind of humans will we become? As we embrace this difficult passage in our earth history, these shared stories and rituals of faith, so these rituals that we've been talking about, these practices, they will be important for expressing our fears and hopes, our sense of purpose, our visions for a new world, for healing, regeneration, hope beyond the end of the world, 
These rituals offer us a place to draw strength, build community, and find sustenance for the long haul as we make the necessary transformations. We are not carried outside of our faith, but deeper into it. And finally, I have a sign up in my house. I have like a wall in my house where um, I put like an index card up and it says, what's making you think or laugh today? And occasionally my kids add things, but they mostly just mock the things that I put up there. So it is an entertaining wall if you ever want to come over and read it. But one of the, like one of them is, um, love is the only thing that can change the human heart. It's a quote by um, Chardin. And uh, one of my kids put a sticky note on it and said, what about heart surgery? Um, <laughs> It's just like very practical thinking. I do appreciate that. Um, but one of the quotes that I have up there that they have not messed with. The, uh, John Pavlitz, he says, and that's probably the highest spiritual aspiration we can have, leaving people more loved than when we found them. If you do nothing else, loving people more than they were loved than when you found them, even praying for them, giving them what they need, having compassion and hope for them when they can't have it for themselves, that is a great spiritual aspiration, Imago. All of these practices, body, like paying attention to your body, being aware of God around you, worshiping God through music and experiencing God through music, encountering God in scripture, and even just talking to God in prayer, and we have just scratched the surface in the month of, Imago, month of October, Imago, of practices that people consider spiritual. All of these practices, they are for you to be for others and to be for God. Like, that's their function. All right. We're going to practice... two ways to pray today. I was going to do three, but I talked for a really long time, and I'm sorry. Well, I'm not that sorry, but I know I read a lot of quotes. If, if reading is your thing and you want me to send this to you, I will, because I know that the quotes were very heavy. When I sat down to prepare for this, like I said, there was too much. I do this thing where I put all the things that I think about something or quotes that I pull from somewhere, I put them in a document, and then I cut them all apart, and I put them on my counter, and then I kind of like rearrange them like Tetris, like figuring out what goes where. The counter was completely covered, and so, so much of it got cut. Um, but I want to practice two ways to pray today. And the first one we're going to do is something called centering prayer. And this is a practice that we do with our formation communities. And the idea is, is that for two minutes, we're only going to practice it for two minutes. And trust me, it's going to feel like the longest two minutes of your life if you've never done it before. Um, we're going to practice the idea of clearing our thoughts. And when I say clearing our thoughts, it doesn't mean having no thoughts. It means that when I have a thought, I'm going to return to God. So I'm not thinking, God is here, God is here, God is here, God is here. I'm thinking and trying to leave my mind open. Okay, I'm leaving my mind open. And every time I find that I have a thought, I return to God. And this is the phrase that I want you to use silently in your mind when you return to God. God is love. Now, some people will say, oh my gosh, I got distracted. I had to say God is love like 400 times in two minutes. Don't, don't think of that as distraction. You returned to God 400 times. That's amazing. Okay, so for two minutes, I want you to just try to clear your thoughts, 
clear your thoughts. Um, I will say it is easier to do this practice with your eyes closed. I am not a close my eyes when I pray person. This particular prayer, you probably really should because you're gonna see everything and that's going to become a distraction, okay? So we're gonna close our eyes. You're gonna try to empty your mind and hope your brain doesn't fall out. But you're gonna return to God every time you have a thought. And you're gonna return with the phrase, God is love. For two minutes. Begin. Amen. All right, be honest. Was that the longest two minutes of your life? <laughs> it's okay if it was. All right, so the whole idea behind centering prayer. Some people do, um, they call them sits of centering prayer for 20 minutes in the morning and 20 minutes in the evening. I used to, work, uh, I used to go to a centering prayer group at um, St. Thomas's Church in the Heights, and we literally just sat in silence together. It was a beautiful thing. If you're interested in centering prayer, I can actually connect you with online groups who do centering prayer, so you don't even have to leave your house. So if you're interested in that, let me know. I was going to have us pray out loud for our neighbor today, because I think some people get really panicky about praying out loud in front of other people. I was going to give you a formula for everything, but maybe I'll, maybe I'll bug you guys with that during Advent instead. Um, but instead, what I think we're going to do is we're going to pray through the Lord's Prayer. We're going to do an expanded version of it. So I'm going to lead you through it. This is going to be a silent prayer that you do inside, in that space where you and God dwell. And I'm going to um, pause between each phrase and coach you on what to pray for in that specific part of the prayer. Okay? So we all know the Lord's Prayer. I did read a, a different one this morning. Um, the message version is a little different, so that's the one we're going to use. Um, 
excuse me. So just to remind you, this is the version we're using. Father, reveal who you are. Set the world right. Keep us alive with three square meals. Keep us forgiven with you and forgiving others. Keep us safe from ourselves and the devil. So we're going to pray that prayer together. You're going to do it silently. I'm going to pause for a few seconds in between each one as I give you directions on what to pray in regard to that phrase. Okay? Father. Some of you may not think of God as father, or you had a father that hurt you. Maybe you would prefer to think of God as mother or creator. Whatever address you want to have for God in this moment, tell God that address. Reveal who you are. Ask God to show you who he is, whatever that means for you. Ask God in these few seconds to be revealed to you. Set the world right. Is there something that you feel heavy about that you would love to see set right, personally or in the world? Ask God at this time to set those things right. Keep us alive with three square meals. Is there something that you need from God this week? Ask him for it. Keep us forgiven with you and forgiving others. Is there an area of disconnection between you and God? Or an area of disconnection between you and someone else that you want to talk to God about? Talk to him about that now. And finally, keep us safe from ourselves and the devil. The idea behind this is that we would recognize temptation and that we would ferret that out in ourselves and not give in. So is there something that you're tempted by that you need to be kept safe from? And talk to God about that now. Amen. Have any of you ever prayed with a structure like that before where you had like a, this is what you do now, this is what you do now, this is what you do next? It's a big Baptist thing. It is. In fact, it's on the prayer sheet. There's one that I like called ACTS, A-C-T-S, Adoration, Confession, Thanksgiving, and Supplication. It's just a way to order your prayer if you don't know what to do, okay? So finally, I will say that um, I contacted Libby this week. She was leading worship, and I said, mm, 
I would really like for you to include the song, The Doubter's Prayer, at church on Sunday. And she was gracious enough to stick it in here. And so we're going to end with a song. This song is written by Imago when we were at the Arcadia building. And when I say it was written by Imago, what I mean is there was a sermon. I don't know if it was a series or just a sermon in the Arcadia building. And it was about prayer. And essentially, the congregation was asked, tell us all the things. What are you worried about when you pray? What, are, what, what thoughts do you have surrounding prayer? Dave Crow, who was our administrative assistant at the time, he took all of those phrases that people had said, their doubts and their fears, and everything about prayer, and he created this song out of the words that Imago shared. And so as the worship team sings this song, remember, these are songs that Imago, like these words, th this is what Imago has thought about prayer for a while. So when I say I'm not an expert on prayer, really we are collectively our own experts on prayer because only we know what's between me and God, right? Only you know what's between you and God. Mike, as you go forward, and you listen to the words of this song, please remember that God loves you. He longs to be near you. He wants to talk to you. He wants to listen to you. And when none of that works, God is happy to just sit with you.